If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. title of today's message is New Vision. A few months after we moved here, they started to tear up Dewey Street. Tammy got to miss this. She was in Kenosha. And they tore it right down to the foundation. And then they came through and they were digging up. And I saw them kind of down the street digging up. Looked like they were replacing sewer and water lines and all that. And I, I woke up one morning and went to take a shower. Got in the shower, turned the thing, nothing happened. I was like, oh, I wonder if something's wrong with this faucet. So I went to another faucet, another faucet. And then I looked out, kind of peeked out the window there, and I saw that, well, they had dug up and turned off the water. And they had fresh water pipe on the curb, so I figured, well, that must mean they're out there changing the mains. So I got dressed and kind of went along my business, turned on my coffee pot. Fortunately, I had set that up before, because that just would have been a, a bad situation. Hypocaffeinemia is a true medical condition there, when low caffeine and, and all that. But fortunately, a few hours later, I heard the gurgling start up in the pipes, and I went and turned on the kitchen faucet. Turned on the kitchen faucet, and immediately this sludge came out of it. Just absolute sludge. Smelled bad, muddy, gooey. Filter in the faucet clogged immediately. I got about three drips of this stuff out, so I had to take the faucet apart and clean it up, turn it back on, it's still gooey. So I had to go downstairs, drain the water heater, get all that stuff out of there, flush it through, and spent this, this took the whole day of flushing all the pipes in my house out of this just nasty goo. And it's amazing to me how much it shakes you up and how much it inconveniences you when something you take for granted as just being absolutely reliable goes bad. You know, normally under normal conditions, we can walk into our, our bathroom in the middle of the night or out to our kitchen and, and get a nice clean glass of cold water. We don't have to worry about it. But for days after this, I was so unsure of what the water would look like, I'd actually turn it on and I would only pour water into a clear glass so I could lift it up and, and kind of take a peek at it to make sure it was good. And when something reliable as our water or our electrical power goes away, it really kind of shakes us. And we forget everything it takes to bring these modern conveniences into our home. And interestingly, in the scripture we're about to read today, Adam and Eve ran into kind of the same problem in the Garden of Eden. You see, their source for everything had been God up until this point. God was reliable, God was constant, God was always good to them and always there for them. In fact, God was their source of everything, period. There was nothing else. But then an enemy came into the picture. And this enemy was bent on polluting God's goodness in their lives. So today we're going to look at what happened in the beginning as told to us in Scripture. Specifically, we're going to look at the seminal moment when Lucifer, also known as Satan, tempts our ancestor Eve, and we see her immediate reaction to this. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's pray. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you just take 
this small section of Scripture. It is a small section, but an incredibly important section of Scripture that, that outlines the need for a Savior, that, that tells us the beginning of salvation history. Help us to mine its depths today. Help us to pull out its truths and help it to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our own hearts, Father, so that we can live for you in such a way that draws others to you. And Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, Genesis chapter 3 is just one of those scriptures where there's probably at least a hundred different ways to preach from this. But I'm going to focus today on the single truth that we find here, because as I said in my prayer, it's the basis for all the truth that we find throughout scripture and throughout all of salvation history. And this basic truth is something we all need to understand about our, our very nature. And that is, human beings, as originally created, were not created to be autonomous. In other words, we were not created to live separate from, any, from a, a source of power. We were not like this tablet that I control the sound with here. We, were, we did not come with a battery that we could survive for an extended period of time apart from a source of power. Our design was to be constantly plugged in to a power source, and that is the way our Creator intended it. Anything powering us other than the power we were designed for is destructive, and it's very harmful to ourselves, and that turns into being harmful for others. If you've ever been to Europe or, or some places outside of the United States, you know this. If you take your phone charger and you plug it into a, a phone outlet over in Europe and then plug your phone into it, you're going to have a dead phone. It's going to fry it. American power grids are designed to deliver 110 volts at most of your outlets, with the exceptions of being those the bigger appliances, like your electric dryers or high-capacity freezers. And they have a special outlet, so you can't accidentally like plug your microwave in it and turn it on and x-ray the entire neighborhood. You know, the Tim the Tool Man, more power. <laughs> you know, the design is, is, is idiot-proof, so you can't do that. European power grids deliver 220 volts, which is twice as much as our American power grid. Plug your phone into that, immediately fry the charger, the phone, and anything else in the area. And you're going to have a very potentially expensive problem on your hands. You and I are the same way. Spiritually speaking, we have an enemy whose primary goal is to make sure that we are plugged in to the wrong power source. And that point is key, as is this next point. As a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the enemy has no right to go anywhere near your power cord. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't surrendered him as Lord and Savior, you're already plugged into Satan's power source, and he has complete control over what flows into your heart. And you're powerless to change it without provenient grace, without that, that measure of the Holy Spirit entering you to accept Christ, to enable you to, to choose the good in coming to Jesus. But as Christians, Satan has no ability to forcefully unplug us from God's power and plug us into anything else. But he can get us to use the wrong outlet. He can deceive us into pulling our plug from over here and plugging it in over there. 
And in essence, that's what's going on here in Genesis chapter 3. And with that in mind, let's take this scripture apart a little bit more and grow to understand what in life tries to disconnect us from our power source. And the first thing I want to look at is what lowers our vision. Last week I was driving home and I was, I was meditating on what I was going to preach this week and it came to me as I was preparing. I'm driving, in the, uh, sitting in the back of the ambulance retur- returning from La Crosse and driving to Black River Falls. It's about 3 a.m. and I pull out my phone to look at it to surf the web a little bit and I look and my battery's getting low. So I have my charger with me, I pull it out of my bag, and in the back of the ambulance, it's, it's just pitch dark. I mean, you have lights back there, but you don't want to turn on the lights because they reflect against the windshield and the driver's like, whoa, I can't see. And so, you know, we try to keep the lights off in the back, so I'm fumbling around back there trying to find the outlet to plug my charger in, and I'm surprised I didn't electrocute myself just fumbling around back there. But I did finally get it, and I was thinking about that as I prepared this lesson, that this is exactly what Satan tries to do to us, to lower our ability to see clearly what we're plugging into and what we're allowing to power ourselves. And this is what happened to Eve here. The enemy took her eyes off the express command of God to her, not to eat of that tree. And he did that by casting doubt. He did it by casting doubt about God's intentions for them. He did it by casting doubt about God's goodness for them and doubts about God's provision for them and saying that God is holding out on you. If you just plug in over here, then you will be a complete person. And that's why her vision lowered. It took her eyes off God and lowered it to the things of this earth. And prior to that, she saw God as only good. She saw God as her only source of strength and truth, but then Satan dangled that possibility of a second choice in front of her. He caused her to, to focus on the creation as being her source instead of the creator. And that's what led Eve down the wrong path. And it also is what leads us down the wrong path. Because like Eve, we have a tendency to focus on the things of this world, don't we? We have an unhealthy interest in what's going on around us. And before you're too hard on Adam and Eve, remember it's the exact progression that you and I follow today, isn't it? First, she saw that the fruit was good for food. And remember what God told her. Remember, he told her, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in it as fruit, you shall have them as food. That was part of God's command. God repeated that command with a little bit more of a clarification in Genesis 2 when he said, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. To Eve, looking at this tree through her eyes of innocence, the tree looked like any other tree. I don't think that this tree was, was clouded in a, in a dark cloud. I don't think it was, had like demons sitting on the branches cackling at her. I think, I think it was probably one of the best looking trees in the garden. So to her looking through her eyes of innocence and not being wise in the ways of this world, she thought, hey, this thing's good for food. And God used, or excuse me, Satan used God's word and twisted it just a little bit and got Eve to move against God's express command. 
And he continues to use that same tactic today. He may say to you, you know, God gave sex for good, so you should be able to have sex whenever you want. Or God gave you a car for good, so you should buy like the huge expensive car and, and buy it on a lot of credit. And, you know, you don't need to give to the church, just pay for that car. He, he'll, he'll take that and he'll use God's express commands, twist them a little bit, and use it to pull you away from God. He continues to use these same tactics today. He also, she also saw that it was pleasing to the eye. And can I be honest with you just for a moment? And this might be a little controversial to some, so please hear me out before you pick up the hymnals and throw them at me. We in the church, and when I say the church, I mean the Christian church throughout history, especially the American church and especially the Pentecostal church, have done a grave disservice to the world by denying that occasionally sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable for a time. The reason that most of us go against God's express commands is that most sin causes some sort of emotional or physical pleasure or both for a season. The enticement that was given to Eve here is the same enticement that you and I face every day of our lives. I listen personally to a variety of pastors for my own spiritual growth, and one of them I listened to is John Piper, and I was listening to his teaching yesterday. It caused me to kind of redo things for my message. And he was referring to an article in Leadership Magazine, and I looked up that article. Article was written by a very well-sought-out and famous minister that he said everybody would know, but um, he was anonymous in this article. And he was the kind of guy that traveled the country. He, you know, People would flock to see him. He'd fill up stadiums, that kind of thing. And in that article, this pastor, minister, um, detailed his struggle with lust for 10 years before finally being delivered while he was in the ministry. As I said, this article was anonymous because if he was found out, they'd most likely throw him out of the church. But he described his descent into a lifestyle that he described as being completely fractured. He called it a cognitive dissonance. In other words, he believed absolutely what the Bible had to say about this, that it was wrong, it was sin, it was rebellion against God. Yet he could not help himself and could not control himself from going out and participating in this sin. He cited a statistic that to me was staggering. He said in a recent survey of major hotel chains, they found that they had the highest usage of adult movies that you could order into the room at a hotel. You know when it would happen? during youth pastor conventions. Do you know what, that's kind of shocking, isn't it? You know what else is shocking? That article was written in 1983, 34 years ago. Do we think it's gotten any better? Or do we think it's probably gotten considerably worse with the internet? It's easy to dismiss people, and especially leaders in the church who fall into sin as failures and liars, and cowards, hypocrites, perverts, whatever. It's easy to dismiss the sin, but it denies the obvious truth that sin is very attractive. There is something about it that in our fallen nature, we are attracted to it. We need to admit that. And our message as a Christian church needs to be this, that sin may very well feel good right now. 
But sin is something you have bought on credit. Sooner or later, you got to pay that bill. And that's when the suffering starts. The Bible agrees with this when it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The third thing that leads Eve to disregard God's command was that she desired to know things that she was not able to handle knowing. There's another problem with sin. is that it gives us a knowledge of evil that God never designed or equipped us to handle. We have a friend who was raised in a very strong Christian home. When Tammy and I first got saved, her and her husband had a lot to do with mentoring us and discipling us early in our faith. And we would be sitting around in their living room talking and giving testimony and praying and, and studying the Bible and doing all these things. And I would talk about my past and Tammy would talk about her past and all the, the sin that we had involved with. And her husband would be talking about all of his past and all the sin that he wouldn't be involved with. And we'd look at her and she said, I think I swore twice in high school. And I remember being a new Christian, I just kind of looked at that and rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, good. Little Miss Goody Two-Shoes here hasn't done anything wrong. But what I, what I mocked her for kind of in my mind then, I understand now the truth that she is blessed to not know what I know or Tammy knows or her husband knows. She doesn't know the deep depths of depravity that sin can take you into. On the other end from the Bible, from this, what we're reading in the Garden of Eden, Jesus is, is talking to the church at Thyatira. As a church, Thyatira's rebuke was tolerating rampant sexual sin within its membership, led by a woman named Jezebel. At the end of the letter, Jesus says that he will not burden his church with Satan's so-called deep secrets. And within this context, he's talking about a full, having a full awareness of the deep horror and darkness of sexual depravity. However, Satan has these same kind of um, so-called deep secrets tied to every sin you can imagine. It's not just sexual. And the enemy uses our God-given curiosity about things against us. We think that, that we have to know what's behind that curtain that God has placed to protect us from that side of reality. We think we need to, to, to peek behind that curtain and see what's back there. And through protecting our vision, through having this curtain up and saying, you don't need to know this, you're not equipped to know this, God is truly trying to protect us and keep us from harm. And you know there's this common misconception about sin and common misconception about God that he doesn't want us to enjoy life. Everybody thinks that God is this cantankerous old guy sitting on his porch yelling at the neighborhood kids about everything they're doing wrong. But that's not the God of the Bible. God wants us to enjoy the life he gave us. He gave us these things to enjoy within the right framework. We have to have the foundation to hold the blessing that he wants to pour out. And that's what the moral teaching of the Bible is. It's that framework that holds that blessing in place. If the blessing of God was like a concrete, the, the law of God is like the forms that holds it in. And without that form that holds it in, concrete would just pour out everywhere and just be a mess and not be useful for anything. Jesus compared it to pouring new wine into an old wineskin. The old wineskin 
couldn't stretch anymore. It couldn't expand. It couldn't, it couldn't hold. It, when, the, when a new wine would start to ferment, it would expand. It would tear right away, and you would lose both the wineskin and the wine. That's what the law does for us. And we know the rest of the story about Adam and Eve. The Bible says that their eyes were open. There are probably another hundred sermons you could preach just on that particular point right there about what their eyes were open to. For our purposes this morning, we'll talk briefly about what they were open to see. And that was the fall of their vision. There's a modern saying that information is not good or bad in itself. It's how you use the information that makes it good and bad. But I disagree with that. I think there is some information that we are not meant to know, and nor should we ever know. I think having the wrong information and perhaps moving technology in the wrong ways was what brought the flood upon the earth. I can't prove that. It's just kind of a, a gut instinct I have, and I have that kind of that, that hesitation when we start talking about manipulating genetics and things like that. I, that. That just, I think, is something we probably shouldn't get into very much. But remember, we were designed for a single power source. When that power source is connected to the wrong outlet, it torches our soul. And it leaves us broken and useless, just like plugging a cell phone into a 220-volt um, lights or 220-volt outlet. We might think that this new vision is liberating, but in reality, it totally blinds us to our spiritual condition. I remember when I was 16 years old, I actually left home. I was I'd been on my own one way or another since I was 16, because I wanted to leave home and I wanted to go party. And my parents were kind of, well, they just were what they were. And so I would move to friend's house and friend's house and all that. And I remember when I finally walked out of my mom's house, I'm just like, that's it, I'm free. I get to, I get to live life on my own terms. I get to do what I want. I don't have some parental unit yelling at me to, to do something or not do something while they're doing it themselves and, and all this kind of stuff. And I remember just walking out and I just felt free and I felt light and I felt like I could just go live my life the way I want to. But what was really happening is that Satan was in fact doing this to me. He was putting on these clouded glasses. Now I can see through these glasses about that far in front of me, and then everything is blurry. That's what sin does to us. That's what Satan's lies do to us. We can see this much in front of us, and the rest is a cloud. Upon eating the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve both experience this. Two things immediately happen. Their, beauty, their ability to see through spiritual eyes was removed. And that needs to be very strongly noted here. Adam and Eve were most likely had the same abilities as the resurrected Jesus did. Think about that for a moment. They most likely were spiritual and physical at the same time. So in our, in, in our terms of a way of looking at it, they were superhuman. They had the same spiritual power and awareness as Jesus. And as part of our created nature, God only allows us to use one set of the eyes or another. As fallen beings, we're born with the ability to only use these eyes that are in our heads. In other words, we can only see 
with eyes of flesh the world around us. But those who have come to Jesus and made him Lord and Savior, we have gained access again to their true eyes, their spiritual eyes, their ability to see through the eyes of the Holy Spirit what is going on around them. And ideally, us as Christians should spend our whole lives perfecting that ability to see and use our spiritual senses. As the whole old hymn says, I once was blind, but now I see. As a Christian, I am able to see better than I ever was. The second thing that happened was that the very Spirit of God coming out of them, or came out of them and lifted off of them. Again, as innocent and perfect, they had all had the manifold presence of God living within them and being upon them. But when they sinned, that presence immediately left them. And that is the nakedness that they saw. That's why all of a sudden they said, oh, you're naked. They couldn't see through their spiritual eyes. They could only see through their eyes of flesh now. One moment the fullness of God was in them and upon them, and the next it was all gone. Consider that for a second. I would imagine that everyone here has lost somebody fairly dear to us. For me, it was my maternal grandfather. He was, he was probably the only positive influence I had growing up. For others, maybe you're a parent that has lost a child or, or a, a child who has lost their parent. And we, we cherish the memories of these losses our entire life. But you always have that empty place inside of us that you try to fill with just the cherished memory of that person when they're no longer here. But imagine for a moment that your entire existence is one of knowing only the fullness of God living inside of you, and suddenly it's gone. Think of the hole that was left behind. Think of how empty they must have felt. One other person experienced that sudden emptiness, and that was the man Jesus when he was on the cross, when all the fullness of God's presence was turned from him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? The innocent man bore the guilt of us all. So that for through turning to Jesus in faith, we would never have to bear that eternal emptiness of not having God within us and upon us. Adam and Eve made a critical mistake here. Instead of turning to God and immediately crying out to God and asking for forgiveness... They turn to a physical solution to cover spiritual nakedness. And that could be a whole other sermon right there. But that exists a lot in the church today. But God didn't leave humanity without hope. Jesus' sacrifice was written into the plan long before Eden was ever created. Through repentance and faith in Jesus, we can have that promise of restoration and a rebirth of our vision. And that's how I want to end today. The word revision literally means a revised vision. To restore what God originally intended and even improve upon it. And God wants to restore our vision. He wants to give back that what was promised to Adam and Eve, as well as their descendants. And I want to begin this year by doing just that by allowing God to do a vision check on us and restore our vision, to take our spiritual glasses and clean them off so we can see exactly what outlet 
we are plugging into in life to see if, if this is of God or if this is of the world. There's only two choices. You can't plug one into one and one into the other. It's either all or nothing. I want to take some time that God can cleanse our hearts because many of us have delved into Satan's so-called deep secrets. And that's why we're going to have this time of fasting. Until the 22nd, we'll break that fast together with a fellowship meal of celebration for what God is going to do this year in our life and in the life of this church.